Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. My name is G. Hatfield, and I'm the nursing editor for Health Leaders. Today, I am joined by Mary Beth McLaughlin, who is the chief nurse executive and vice president of patient care services at UPMC, to discuss workforce challenges, team-based models, travel nursing, and the different strategies CNOs can use for recruitment and retention. So hi, Mary Beth. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. So let's jump right in. What do you think are the biggest workforce challenges facing CNOs today? Well, there's quite a few. Uh, I think mostly it's it's ensuring that we have a stable um, workforce, not just nurses, but all of our patient care staff to be able to take care of patients and that we can create environments that that uh, that staff feel they are able to be engaged and be safe and really be able to provide the best care that they can and be fulfilled. Absolutely. So um, speaking of a stable workforce, what factors do you think are contributing to the national nursing shortage that we're facing? Um, I think, you know, I think there's many. I think a lot of things changed um, post the pandemic in the last four years. I've been a nurse for almost 39 years. um, So this isn't the first nursing shortage I've seen in my career. But, you know, overall, things are different in our nation and across across the world, really. Things things are very different. And so I think what... um, as individuals, we all expect has changed what our priorities are, have changed what's important to each of us is, is a little different. And I, and so I think some of the things that contribute to all of that is that everyone is now looking for more work life harmony. And that's what I like to call it work life harmony, not balance, but harmony. They're looking to be able to have a career, be fulfilled in their career, but also make sure that their time and and their priority of their family and friends and the things that they want to do is able to be there. That's a, that's a little bit different than I think it was 30, 39 years ago when I first um, became a nurse. And so that's very different. Obviously, dealing with the challenges that we face in the workplace, um, I think today is also somewhat different. Um, whether it's dealing with the ups and downs of, you know, the, the viruses and um, the volumes and the staffing situations that we're in, as well as just how individuals are treated. And we have a lot more workplace violence issues than we ever had in the past. And so, again, a lot of things have changed mm-hmm. um, over these last few years, and all of those have an impact on our frontline staff and having enough of them and making sure that they're feeling engaged and fulfilled and and able to work. Absolutely. So I want to touch a bit on that burnout piece. How can health systems help foster a better work environment that promotes that work-life harmony that you're talking about? Yeah, I think, um, and you know, I like to talk about, I don't, I don't talk about burnout. I talk about their well-being, the overall Mm -hmm. well-being of the staff. And there's a lot of things that we need to do. We need to become as flexible as possible. And again, I've been a nurse for a long time. And I'm questioning why does everyone have, why do our shifts start at 7 a.m.? Do we have to start every shift at 7 a.m.? Can't get into daycare at 7 a.m., most people. So 
you know, can we look at different things? Can we provide enough different programs, employment programs for nurses so they could work four hours, six hours, eight hours, be full-time, part-time, casual? How do we provide programs for nurses that are more senior? We have one here at UPMC called Life Stages for our uh, nurses that are, end, you know, towards the end of their career and looking for a way to lighten up their load just a little bit. Um, who needs a weekend program because they want to be able to go to school and advance themselves? Flexibility is really important. Um, and so that's an important thing. Obviously, so is making sure they're engaged and making sure that you're checking in. And so one of the things we've done in the past year is we, we stepped back and I said, we need to look at our, our onboarding of our first for first year hires. Mm -hmm. especially our new graduates. How do we look at that and check on them on a monthly basis that entire first year and checking on them in a way that's checking on what is their well-being? Not just do they understand things, have they been been trained and in-serviced well, but how are they doing emotionally? How are they adjusting to work? How are they adjusting to having to rotate shifts? If you've never rotated shifts, that's a big change. And so mm -hmm. we're finding by doing that on a monthly basis, we're and identifying who's at risk, who's at risk for leaving us, who's at risk that we've been able to bring our first year turnover down. Those are ways that you're checking in and making sure that, you know, the, the things that are important to the staff, the things that are at the top of their mind, you're addressing, that you know what those are and you're working on them on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how can using team-based models help meet staffing needs? Yeah. So I think one of the things that um, I've learned throughout my career is that you, you, it's not, a, healthcare is a team sport. It is not a, a sport that, that is not, it's not a profession that you do in a silo. Mm -hmm. We have to work in teams. And so looking to make sure that nurses are working to the top of their license and that they have the right supports. So we stepped back and really looked at our, um, what we call patient care technicians. What could they do? Were we using them to their fullest potential? And how could we create a support role, which we call our patient family concierge, mm -hmm. which is a non-clinical support role that can, that can aid in so many things from helping to do hourly roundings, making sure answering some of our call lights, stalking, um, transporting, answering phones, helping with families. How could we build that and create a team and also create a team that included licensed practical nurses? Um, and so that's what we've been focused on and been working on and creating that that team approach so that nurses, and, and the intent of this is really um, to assist nurses, not to uh, stretch uh, the amount of patients they take care of, but to ensure that the entire team is working together on the unit to make sure that all the things that need to happen for a patient's care, whether it's helping uh, with mobility and ambulating, getting them up, making sure that they've got all the things that they need working together as a team. We've, we've seen some really nice um, successes and some, we're starting to see some really positive quality outcomes as well, not just in patient experience, but also things like less falls, less call lights, those kinds of things. And so um, I think that team-based care, especially 
UPMC crosses both urban and rural and community and lots of different places, looking at what were some of the other roles that could come together to provide care in a team-based model? So again, you're not just relying on the nurses doing everything. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that'll that'll definitely help as well with overall well-being. Um, so, what are your thoughts on travel nursing and other premium staff? Sure. Um, you know, I think we all we all recognize that was something that we. Um, it was it was a necessity in particular uh, over the last few years. Here at UPMC, we made a decision that we would create our own internal um, UPMC travel team. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've done. We have a little over 700 of them. Um, we are a large system. We are we cover three states, three different uh, it's a pretty broad area. And we deploy that staff. They're our staff. They are full-time staff with our orientation, onboarding, training, um, as well as benefits. And we uh, allocate them out based on need um, to whichever hospital has, uh, has a need. That's allowed us to cut our external agency use in half by a little over 50% in this past year. I think that um, we're in a, a position where we, we need to become nimble. We need to, again, build in more flexibility. So having some form of an internal uh, travel program, whether that's um, multi, like we have a multi-state, we have a regional arm of that, or we have resource pools within each of the hospitals, which again are that float staff. There, there are definitely staff that enjoy that kind of work. They look forward to it. By having it be our own, we've been very successful. Um, you know, obviously, long-term goal is that that will, those programs will be right-sized to where we need them, and we will continue to recruit many of them into core staff, and that's what we've done um, over a period of time. And again, I've been a nurse for a long time, for 39 years. I've seen this. I've ridden this before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, where where we see a spike in travel, I think we're seeing that come down across the country. The need for travel um, nurses, and I also think we're starting to see more staff who are looking for, and I, I know we've seen that more staff looking for, sort of finding their home, if you will, um, their location to be their their permanent uh, positions. Gotcha. So. Um... Talk to me a little bit about the the travel program at UPMC. How was that developed? What was the thought process there? So again, I think the thought was uh, we knew we were we had nurses that wanted to travel, um, were looking to be able to to travel. It you know there's I think for many it's it's considered it's some it's an opportunity to explore to see different places. Um, to learn new things. And again, we, we cover Pennsylvania. We have a hospital in New York and a hospital in, in Maryland. And so the thought was we would create our own travel program. Our nurses uh, get six-week assignments. Mm-hmm. They, uh, each assignment, they're switched. We have them in uh, med surge, ICU, emergency room, dialysis, PACUs, um, uh, the operating room. We also have some non-nurse positions that are in that. And so we recruited, uh, we began to recruit both. We've recruited locally. We've recruited many of the external 
national um, agency nurses we had into our own program. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the goal really was to be able to recruit our own staff again, that we could train, um, help to keep them on the UPMC and our UPMC standard of care, and that we would over time begin to um, use less of our external agency, which is again, what we've been able to do over the past 12 months. Absolutely. So um, speaking of recruiting more staff, um, how can health systems build a pipeline for nurses who are coming into the field? I think that's an important, um, really important thing to think about. During the pandemic, you know, if you think about back in, in the beginning in 2020 and when we were short on supplies, et cetera, mm-hmm. for many of us, our pipelines with the schools of nursing, our, our academic partners, not just in nursing, in all health-related fields, really kind of fell apart. Students moved to 100% remote. Mm-hmm. The relationships we had got strained. Um, and now we're at a point where, and everyone's curriculum changed in those mm-hmm. academic So um, one of the first things I did last year when I I moved into this new new role here at UPMC was to reestablish those academic partnerships. We have we are blessed at across UPMC. There's about 140 different schools across all of uh, our regions that we partner with. We've established uh, that a nurse leader, a senior nurse leader is on point with every one of them. We created an academic affairs office uh, with a CNO over it that helps to make sure we're looking at placement for students, building the relationships, partnering on as many innovative and new programs as we can possibly do with each of those schools. And then we also expanded our own uh, diploma UPMC schools of nursing in some of them in partnership with some of our universities so that our students can um, can uh, become nurses and then continue on to get their bachelor's degrees um, and that's been very successful a lot of our uh, students and our schools of nursing we have a program with tuition reimbursement mm-hmm. Um, that we are able to do. And many, many of those students are our uh, own employees. They are staff that are in entry-level positions looking to grow um, into and become nurses. And I think that's one of the bright spots, I guess, for me that, if you will, has filled my bucket is that there are an overwhelming number of people who want to still become nurses. Mm -hmm. The challenge is helping them not just with tuition, really it's helping them going back to school, helping them in many cases deal with trying to work and go to nursing school, which is certainly uh, a challenge. Uh, as any of us know that became nurses, it's, it's, it's a challenging program. Mm-hmm. And so we try very hard to do that. So focusing on pipelines and targeted recruitment, which differs by regions for us, Um, ensuring we have good student uh, experiences. We created student ambassadors in all of our our, uh, units and uh, across all of our hospitals to really ensure that we give them that that experience. And then 
we have things like our student nurse internship program where last year we had about 500 of them mm-hmm. across and, and then we are able to give them an experience um, uh, prior to their graduation and then recruit them in and then of course what i talked about which is that support post-graduation and when they come on board as a gn with a really solid gn residency so a lot of focus for us in um, with our academic partners. And, and I think the other thing that we've just recently started to do is, is also to think about how do we get into the middle schools and the high schools. And so now we have a very uh, targeted approach that we're planning to do with high schools and middle schools, not again, just for nursing, but for all of our patient care roles uh, in a hospital to be able to really grow our professions uh, for the future. That's great to hear. Yeah, that sounds like some incredible, uh, incredible work being done. Um, so speaking of support, what kind of support needs to be provided to those new nurses who are entering the industry and to get them to stay? Yeah, I think that's probably one of our biggest challenges, right? Again, I go back to that work-life harmony. Mm-hmm. Many, many um, nurses coming out, you know, don't, rotating shifts is not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, working, if being a nurse uh, in a hospital, you're going to work off shifts, you're going to work weekends, you're going to work holidays. And so I think that's, those are the types of things where, again, what support can we provide to them? And so not just, again, not just clinical support, we are restructuring our onboarding and our education to be uh, much more supportive at the bedside looking at again that well-being what other supports do they need what things do they need in a residency besides what we've traditionally done do they all know how to rotate shifts and when i say that we're working uh we have a well-being committee of frontline staff and we've been working with our own health plan to develop a toolkit that says you've come out and now you need to rotate shifts and you need to learn how to do different sleep patterns how to eat properly, how to make sure you're wearing the right shoes, the right clothing. How do you look at your schedule? How many shifts should you be scheduled? That's where we're now very focused, trying to support those nurses. And then there's other support, right? Teaching skills, how to de-escalate situations, how to delegate, how to work in teams, how to be able to, again, process what you're experiencing from an emotional perspective, providing them with with that support is another um, important aspect to be able to keep nurses at the bedside. We created something here at UPMC called condition support. And it's when you're having a situation that's escalating, you have someone really angry and upset and, and you're alone, you can call a condition support and you get resources that come and help you to deescalate a situation. Those are all things that are really important for all of our staff again, so that we can help them as they transition to the workforce, as they learn the skills they need, many of which come with time um, and experience, but we're trying to give them as many of those tools and support as we can. Absolutely, yeah. So are there any other strategies that you think CNOs should employ to help improve their recruitment and retention rates? I I truly believe um, very much focusing on, again, all academic partners, Mm -hmm. um, making sure your student experiences are are 
really, really good. Um, and then focusing in on, in particular, first-year turnover, really focusing in on not on, on those employee check-ins, checking in to make sure, and, and those check-ins need to be really a little more than just, how are you doing? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's great. They need to be a little more targeted. Look at the questions you ask your leaders to check in and ask with people. Try to create mechanisms for identifying people who might maybe are beginning to be at risk or are struggling, again, with um, with anything from the work to, to uh, emotions or situations. And then looking at scheduling and looking at the ability to be as flexible as you possibly can be so that people feel like they have that work-life harmony. Absolutely. Well, these are all really great insights. And thank you, Mary Beth, for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you to our audience for listening to the Health Leaders podcast. We will be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. You're welcome. It was a pleasure.